Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have author Tracy Douglas with us. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Please tell us how 2021 is going for you and how you've been taking care of yourself this year. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I've been, yeah, I've been waiting for this. It's been on my calendar and I've just been waiting to, to talk to you. Same. <laughs> same. Yay, I'm so excited. Um, 2020 has been actually pretty good. Um, there's been some really high points and some really low points. I did a massive clean out of my home um, starting the end of 2020 into 2021. And I reclaimed my home office. So I've got a pretty office to work in. And um, it's my favorite place in the whole house. So I'm so thrilled about that. And yeah, I've been doing a lot of writing this year. So it's been very busy. Yeah, probably the lowest point I lost um, my 15 year old little dog um, in September. So that was very sad. It wasn't unexpected, but it was still really sad. So but um, yeah, um, otherwise, things have been going really good. I feel your pain. I lost my 15-year-old cat in August. Yeah, it's, it's so seems to it happen. Breaks you. Yeah. It really does because they're like family members. And it yep. seems to happen, um, like since that happened with me, I've noticed just like a um, an avalanche of people and friends on Facebook posting that yep. it's happening to them as well. So it seems to come in like clusters maybe. It does. Know, it does, awful. yeah. It really but, is oh. awful. But like you said, they're in a better place, yes. <laughs> you know? I have to think that way. Uh, Absolutely. So let's get into some icebreakers. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? (laughs) I thought about this one, and I think my warning label would say, don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) Because once you get me started for good or for bad, yeah, you're just going to get a whole earful of whatever. And If you ever write a memoir, I feel like that needs to be the title. Right? Right. Well, don't get me started know, by Tracy Douglas. <laughs> you know, it's true. I I used to hear people say, you know, once you hit fifty, um, all your filters are gone. And I have to say, in my case, that's true. I mean, I didn't have a lot of filters to begin with, but now, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fifty three. Yeah, I'll just and if you get me started on something, whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's just gonna be out there. So yeah, I saw something on Twitter yesterday. There was um, a young lady that posted that she's turning thirty soon, and she's like freaking out. And <laughs> I I remember like turning thirty, and it was like this breath of fresh air. Like yes. I felt all this weight from my shoulders lift. Like the twenties were miserable. Oh, the so 20s were, yeah. how did you like looking back? turning 30, turning 40, turning 50. Mm -hmm. Did you notice a difference with each decade? And how did transitioning Mm -hmm. into 50 feel? My aspiring age is 47, y'all. Like, I can't (laughs) wait. I don't know why. I think, I think specific. Yeah, I love 17. And after I hit 17, I was like, okay, I can't wait to be 47. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Maybe so, something really wonderful will happen when you're 47. Yeah, you're a so. premonition. Yeah. I'll be in Tuscany or something. There so you go. You'll have a huge villa in Tuscany and you can just yeah. live there you go. Your life. Reading romance novels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like the, the 47 goal. Yeah. yeah. Right. So how was it for you? Like what would what would you have said to that young woman? You know, it's it's kind of weird. Um it it almost feels like to me 
in my life that it kind of goes in cycles and like a new cycle will start periodically. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of felt the same way that you did when I turned 30. It was like, because the 20s, you know, you're kind of trying to figure it all out and, Mm -hmm. you know, get yourself situated and all that. And when you hit 30, it's kind of like some of that stuff is done. Like Mm -hmm. you, you might not be in exactly where you want to be, or you might still have things that you want to develop in yourself, but it's like, you feel more like, okay, I got this kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then 40, you're like, 40 was kind of, 40 didn't really do much for me. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of like a continuation of, of 30, Mm -hmm. but then 50 was like, wow. It was like you reach that point in your life because I I was always like a people pleaser kind of person and I didn't want to make anybody mad and I didn't want to offend anybody and I didn't want to, you know. And then when I turned 50, because I'm 53 now, I turned 53 in September. So um, when I turned 50, it really was true. Um, I saw a meme one time on, I think it was Facebook, and it said, Um, something about when you turn 50, all the bullshit is gone. And I kind of (laughs) felt, yeah, I mean, the older you get, the less you really care about making other people happy. And it becomes about making yourself happy and what gives you joy. And so Mm -hmm. more and more, I'm, I'm really focusing on that. I mean, not that you aren't kind to people or help people or anything like that. I mean, that's all there. But it all those um, outside burdens that you mm-hmm. feel um, just kind of go away. So you yeah. don't feel all that pressure from the outside to be a certain way or act a certain way or look a certain way or think a certain way. You you know, you start to know that you're okay. You mm-hmm. are fine just as you are. And the things you want um, and the things that you like and all of that is good. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I wish that was a lesson we could learn like mid 20s. Right. Right. (laughs) None of this matters. It's okay. Like, prioritize your own happiness. Like, none of this matters. Yeah. I mean, it would be great if you could learn it younger, but I'm just not sure that. I mean, I think there's so much that you have to learn and go through to get to that place. Um, Mm -hmm. which is is sad because it is a lot of it is really hard and it's really painful, but I think that um, it's necessary. To get that clarity, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Sorry, that kind of went off the rails. That's no, hard. thank you. Maybe yeah. That should be my warning, like a warning off the rails. That would. Yeah. <laughs> Look, don't get me started, okay? <laughs> you opened the door and we just kind of, we, we just kind of walked in with you more did. questions. As, as we say in the email. I walked on through. I'm telling <laughs> right. As we say in the email, we tend to think of questions while we're chatting. So <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. That's totally me. So, yeah, I'm good with that. What is one of your guiltless pleasures? You know, um, I don't have any. Well, okay. Let me say, all of my pleasures are guiltless. Um, awesome. And this goes along with the 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 kind of fifty older, getting older kind of a thing. But um, one of my favorite authors, Alexis Hall. Um, wrote on his Twitter about this. And I completely agreed with what he said in that you shouldn't feel guilty about anything that brings you joy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as long mm-hmm. as it's not hurting anyone else, why should you feel guilty about it? And don't let other people make you feel guilty about it. So I don't really have any guiltless 
pleasures because all of my pleasures are guiltless. If I, (laughs) if I like it and enjoy it, you know, there you go. So awesome. Yeah. Who is one of your most read authors? This is torture for an author. (laughs) (laughs) I I read so much and um, yeah, well, Alexis Hall, Mm -hmm. um, I said that Um, KG Charles, um, I buy, I, those are both like auto buy authors for me. Um, Kristen Higgins is an auto buy author for me. Love um, yeah. I mean, those are like three that just come to mind. Um, mm-hmm. There's tons more, but I, yeah, I don't want to take up all the time. With that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are three that, yeah. I mean, I've bought books by them in the last week. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Who was one of your favorite or what was one of your favorite childhood books? I was, I was actually a voracious reader when I was a kid. Um, and I remember my mom telling me that even before I could read myself, I would like, like at night before bed, I would bring in stacks of books for her to read to me um, <laughs> at night because I couldn't pick just one. So that's really hard. I mean, I don't, um, I remember reading, I remember finding like Judy Bloom. Like, mm-hmm. are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. That was like a big light bulb moment for me. Um, as a kid, I remember I loved, and they're not really books, but um, do you guys remember those highlights magazines? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love those things. Um, you know, they had stories in them. They had mm-hmm. col- pictures you could color. Uh, my favorite thing, though, was the find the object thing. Um, those, oh my God, I love those things. I would be obsessed with those. My mom actually got me, I I got hooked on those like at the dentist office. And then, um, my mom actually got me a subscription to that because I just love them so much. And yeah, so, um, that really stands out for me, but yeah, I mean, I just read so much Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I'm getting back into magazines. I think like Mm -hmm. magazines had a moment, right? Like did y'all feel, I mean, like when we were younger, once upon a time, I feel like magazines Mm -hmm. really had a moment and they've never went anywhere. Right. But you don't see people talking about magazines or like rushing out to get magazines like they did once upon a time. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's just like seasons of life. I'm getting into them more now, but also like they're super expensive. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm paying 13 bucks for a magazine. Like I I buy two harlequins yeah well and see i haven't even priced magazines lately so that's like that's like double what i remember paying double or even mm-hmm. triple what i remember paying for a magazine so wow mm-hmm. yeah that's really skyrocketed huh and the hard thing with a lot of them too is like i picked up one recently a women's health or something like that mm-hmm. and i'm like 90 percent of this is ads yep that's yeah. the other hard part, right? Like Very how true, much yeah. article am I getting in this? <laughs> well, you know, and with their sales down, I'm sure they're down. I mean, they have to absolutely money somewhere. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Wow. Just oh. another industry, folks. Go support magazines. There's women <laughs> there's women contributing to these, you know. That's right. That's true. right. It's true. Um, mm-hmm. Women's World actually publishes like short romance. And I know a couple of aspiring, well, not aspiring authors, um, pre published authors who are actually getting their start writing um these really? short little yeah they're like short little five minute um romance stories um in in that magazine so um yeah definitely support that stuff because you never oh, know, now I know why my right my yeah. gran is obsessed with women's world and now i'm like that's <laughs> why you're reading it yeah. it's like super it's short the recipes break yeah. <laughs> yeah seriously get get a little romance fix in there too 
What is one of the best purchases you've treated yourself to this year? I mentioned my little dog pass um, in September. So actually, right after I get off this call with you guys off this podcast, um, I am going um, to take about a half an hour drive and I'm going to get a new puppy. So I am adopting a new puppy. Um, today. So hopefully um, that is going to be my best purchase of the year. I'm so excited to meet her. Um, Her name is Carly. She's um, a Havanese and um, she is just so adorable. So um, she's four and she's been through some stuff. So um, yeah. And I saw her little face and um, yeah. So I am, uh, yeah, I'm super excited. Congratulations. Thank you for taking or getting a rescue. I am such an advocate of buying rescue or getting rescue or adopting or yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and there's so many. Um, Our shelters Mm -hmm. here in town are are just full to capacity um, Mm -hmm. with with dogs and cats. And yeah, I knew, um, I've known for a while that I wanted to do a rescue dog. And so, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm used to having smaller dogs. Um, my Clara was a Pomeranian, a toy pom, and she weighed like six pounds. So I'm used to having a smaller dog. And um, so, but they go so fast, especially at the shelters and rescues. Yeah. And, um, so when I saw Carly, um, I thought, well, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's so weird. I swear this is fate. So I saw her like at the beginning of a week and thought, oh, she's really, really cute. But, you know, no, I'm not ready. And so then I came back like a week after that and she was still there. And I thought, hmm. And <laughs> so, but I still wasn't ready because I, I have had a hell of a month, two mm-hmm. months. So um, like, no. And so then that was like on a Monday and then like on a Wednesday, I was just kind of, you know, as you do, just kind of, you know, looking and her little face popped up again. I'm like, hmm. And so I clicked through and I had actually, okay, so it's weird because I had actually found her because I was looking at a different dog and I clicked through to the rescue site and her her face popped up and um, she wasn't on the original site. So I would never have seen her if I hadn't clicked through to look. So, so that was one thing. So then I was on there and it was late and, you know, I was under heavy deadline and my brain just wasn't working, but I thought, well, it said on there like, like 10 days um, (laughs) to 10 days to process mm-hmm. the application. So I'm like, okay, I'm like, well, you know, if I fill it out now, if it, that'll be like the end of the month before they look at it. And then, you know, whatever. And so I'm like, well, okay, so I'll just go ahead and fill it out. So I filled it out, hit send, thought, you know, that's fine. I'll have the two weeks to finish my books and whatever. So the next morning I get up and there's an email in my uh, <laughs> mailbox that says, oh, congratulations, Carly's yours if you want her. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> crap you know because i i figured you know a ton of people had to be looking at her and i figured she was probably already adopted and they just forgot to take her picture down Mm -hmm. oh shit okay so um i'm like well it's a lot we're doing this got all the stuff so i'm like okay fine i'll just get ready and you know and because they wanted me to get her last weekend and i'm Mm. like So, and so I got everything ready and the lady was supposed to call me and she called me, um, on Sunday. That was on Friday when I got the email and she called me on Sunday and we got to talking and she's like, you know, we had so many applications for this dog, but, um, we decided to give her to you. And I'm like, oh my 
gosh. And um, she's like, yeah, she said, um, because the dog is only four and most of the people who applied were older people and they didn't want to have to rehome the dog again, um, you know, because she's so young and, Mm -hmm. you know, in case something happened to them. So, and um, so, yeah, so we got to talking and I'm like, okay, so that's the second thing that maybe this is fate. And then, um, yeah, it, it, it's just all. So then I was like, she's like, well, can you get her this weekend? I'm like, yes, but you know, there were a couple of issues and she's like, well, actually, um, she texted me back and she's like, well, the people, the foster family that has her, um, is on vacation, so they won't be back for another week anyway. And I'm like, well, that's number three. Because, (laughs) you know, it it would give me time to finish my books Mm -hmm. and all of that. And then, um, yeah, so um, it seems like Carly is supposed to be here. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Carly adopted you. Yeah. 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 So. Yes. So I'm picking her up at one today. So yeah, hopefully that will be my best purchase for 2021. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) I'm super excited. We love to hear romance origin stories. Can you share with us how you became a romance reader? I had so much fun kind of digging into my brain for this. Um, I originally, I thought the first romance book that I read was a book called Silver Angel by Joanna Lindsay. And I found, I found that book, um, in, we were staying at my aunt and uncle's place during the summer and I found it hidden in her cabinet and, (laughs) and I read it and I was like, oh my God, I love this. Um, and it's like, it's got an old school cover. Um, the one, the copy that I had, had an old school cover, it had this woman with this gorgeous, like long silver hair that just like took up the whole cover and she's laying on her back, you know, and the gorgeous hero, he's shirtless and he's kind of laying over her, you know, like getting ready to ravish her and all of that. <laughs> and I just thought that that was, yeah, it was amazing. And, um, but then I remembered that actually my love Love of Romance had started years before reading Daniel Steele um, yes. back in the 80s, like right when she really hit big. I was going to say, yeah, that was Daniel Steele's oh decade. Oh my God. <laughs> there was a book of hers called Remembrance. And it was about a princess named Serena who, um, it happened like right around World War II. And she lost everything in the war and she ended up going to be a maid for a army major named Brad. And Brad was, of course, gorgeous and all of this. And um, yes, and so he fell in love with Serena as his maid and didn't know that she was a princess. And then after the war, you know, they got separated. And then after the war, she became a fashion model because of course she did. And, um, you know, she was like all over the place. And then Brad um, got injured in the war. So he had like a bum leg and he was walking with a cane and, um, you know, they found each other again and they got there happily. And I read the shit out of this book. I must have read this book like 50 times. I mean, I could have been Serena. I knew that book backwards and forwards. And that was probably my first, oh my God, I love this genre kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh my God, yeah. it sounds so scandalous. Oh my <laughs> No, it was way. so, so good. I wanted to be Serena so, so bad. I can still <laughs> remember the cover of this book. And I, you know, I mean, obviously it's all airbrushed and everything, but this woman was gorgeous. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I wanted to be this woman so bad. I wanted to be a princess who then becomes a fashion model and 
I just, well, I, you know, I was like in seventh, eighth grade. So I'm right, like, yeah. 12, 13, <laughs> you know, that age where, you know, anything is possible and you're like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. And <laughs> yeah, so of course, obviously that didn't happen, but um, yeah. And then I remember, do you guys remember, well, and they used to make a lot of like TV miniseries of these books, like um, Daniel Stone's yeah. books and Judith Krantz and mm-hmm. um um oh, what's her name the lady boss lady um Jackie Collins Jackie yeah. Collins mm-hmm. yeah a lot of those mini series so I would watch all of those on TV and then they made one of the Thornbirds do you remember oh. the Thornbirds oh I haven't read it yet God I, I my friend and I went absolutely bonkers for this <laughs> and we were so. <laughs> So stupid. I love it. You were so <laughs> in love with um, Ralph de Bricassart, the priest <laughs> in the book. He, well, okay, first of all, he's a priest, so no. And second yeah. of all, Richard Chamberlain played him in the miniseries, and we just thought he was just it. And I mean, he was he was probably in his forties, maybe when he played that, and we were like fourteen, but we didn't <laughs> care. I mean, we thought he was it, and and he's gay, so obviously that was never going to happen. But you know, um, we just thought he was it, and we would carry around these copies of the Thornbirds with his picture on the front. Like, <laughs> I don't know what we thought was going to happen, like. Maybe he would just appear as Father Brickasart and, you know, we would be, woo, you know. Um, but, yeah, so that was that was a big one for me, too. And then after that, I just, yeah, I read all of the romance I could get my hands on. Like, a lot of historicals, those seemed to be really big back then. A lot of historicals, yep. a lot of all the Daniel Steele stuff. Yeah, just anything. I remember going to the library and just bringing home bags of romance books to read yeah mm-hmm. that was that was it for me yeah I was a goner so <laughs> I have pulled up Silver Angel by Joanna Lindsay yes. and oh my god yes. the cover <laughs> it's like a classic Joanna Lindsay cover because she was the one that had all the Fabio on him like yeah. um, gentle rogue and Oh, Gentle Rogue and Tender Rebel were two more. Oh my God. And a lot of people went for James, who was the on the cover of Gentle Rogue. He was blonde and he was okay. But Tony, the dark haired guy, oh my God. I oh Tony <laughs> Okay, Rose. I love that you say that because I'm literally looking at Warrior's Woman that has oh. the blonde guy yeah. on the cover. And then Silver <laughs> Angel has the very hot, dark haired mm, yeah. guy right? on the cover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine being like, you know, like an eight in eighth grade, like a kid, like finding that in the cupboard? You'd be like, oh my god, right. Right? scandalized, right? Right? You know, that's the way. Totally, like, oh my god, I have to read this. <laughs> yeah, and I remember like hiding it, like under yeah. my pillow, so my parents wouldn't see, and I'd read it at night. And, oh my god, it was, it was a yeah, that was an awakening for me. Like, oh wow, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like this stuff. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord, the things we do. I'm telling you. Right. right. <laughs> we read on your website that you received your MFA in writing popular fiction. Has writing always been a passion of yours? And can you share what your experience of pursuing your MFA was like? My story is a little bit different. Um, I never, I honestly never. It never occurred to me to be an author until I actually wrote a book. Um, I, which is weird because I'm an only child. So I always 
kind of made up stories for myself to entertain myself, but it never occurred to me to actually write those stories down or that other people might want to read those stories. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, um, I wrote my first book in the end of 2011. It was over like, um, the Thanksgiving Christmas holidays. And, um, I did that because I had a dream, um, about, a story and it just came to me like fully formed and um, it wouldn't get out of my brain until I wrote it down. And so I hand wrote on about 15 legal pads, hand wrote this entire story and ended up being over a hundred thousand words in like a month and a half. Oh my God. Right. And so um, I had been reading a lot of paranormal romance at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, so it it was a paranormal romance story. It was a continuing story because there were seven warriors in there. And so each, my plan was to have each warrior have a story. Um, So anyway, so I wrote this thing down and then I had no idea what to do with it. So (laughs) I was like, okay, well, I've got all these notepads full of words and what do I do with this and so I started looking online you know like do I want to make this a book do I want to try and get it published I don't know and so I started researching and um, came across RWA and then started um, corresponding with them and then joined the local group here which is actually two hours away from me but I joined there and went to a couple meetings and got into some online groups there and met some other writers and then started thinking about okay well maybe I can get this published if I revise it or whatever so um, I did that for about six months rewriting it redrafting it cutting the word count you know, Mm -hmm. my craft and all that stuff. And then I started submitting to publishers and agents in probably like August of 2012, um, after having written this in the end of 2011. So August 2012, I started sending it out and, you know, started getting the rejections back in, you know, whatever. Then in October of 2012, I got a request for the full from an, from an editor at Crimson Romance. So um, I sent in the full, tried not to get too excited about it, whatever. And then, um, or actually that was September. And then October of 2012, they actually bought that book. And that book actually became my very first published book called Seal. Well, at that time, it was called Seal of Destiny. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that all happened kind of fast. Yeah, that first book came out. (laughs) And then everything went to shit, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to say that, but it's true. Because that book came out January 2013. The second book in that series came out May of 2013. And my mom passed away of cancer in June of 2013. And during that whole period, she was diagnosed in January, right after my first book came out, a week after my first book came out. And then all of the treatment and the chemo and the radiation Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. Um, And I was her primary caretaker. So all of that stuff happened within those six months. And then she passed away in June of 2013. And I was exhausted. I mean, I was just completely knocked off center, knocked off balance completely. And um, I ended up writing one more. I had one more book ready to go in that series. And rather than um, doing that through Crimson, I decided to self-publish that in October. And then I didn't write anything for three years. 
nothing. Oh my goodness. I was just, I had completely burned out and I just, I completely lost my mojo after that. And I think a lot of that was grief and just, because it all happened so fast and it was so unexpected that I just, I lost my way. I lost my path and I didn't Mm -hmm. know, I didn't know where to go, what to do. And so, yeah, so for three years, pretty much nothing. And I found, I had found the MFA program at Seton Hill back around the time that my first book had gotten published. And at that time, I was like, well, this all just kind of happened. And so I wanted to find out why what I did worked so that I could do it again. Because I didn't really understand why How you pulled it, it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, I had a dream and I wrote it down and somebody wanted to buy it and read it, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna have keep having dreams over and over yeah. again. You know, I wanna have another book. So I'm like, I need to figure this out. So I had actually researched the program then and I had um at that time they had a wait list. And so I got put on the wait list for the MFA program and I found out that I had um got gotten in right before my first book came out. So around the end of 2012, I got my letter saying you're in the program and you can start January of 2013. So on top of everything else, mm-hmm. I started this program and yeah. it really, you know, that program, I can honestly say, I think that program and more, more importantly, the people in the program that I met through the program really saved my life. I mean, they saved my career because I don't think that I would have continued writing if I didn't have that support system in place. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I had started this program in 2013 (laughs) as my first book came out and as my mom was diagnosed. So they have on-campus on-campus residencies every six months in the program. So the rest of it's online, but every six months you have an on-campus residency, which is nice because you get to actually meet the people you're working with face-to-face mm-hmm. and the other people going through the program. And it's it's a week and it's like, it's like going to Hogwarts for a week. Um, <laughs> it seriously is. The place looks like Hogwarts. Um, it's all just a bunch of writers and everybody's just in the groove with their writing and you do workshops and you do critique shops and you do just all this stuff and it just gets all of your creative juices flowing. Then you come home and you basically crash for a week because you're so exhausted after all, <laughs> everything that you've done. But I mean, it really just reignites your creative spark. And I don't mm-hmm. think that if I if I hadn't had that during that period where I wasn't writing, I'm not sure that I ever would have picked up a pen again. I just wow. don't because that really helped to keep that little ember alive that maybe someday you can actually do this for a career. And mm-hmm. so more than anything, that's what I'm so very, very grateful for to the program and all of the wonderful people in the program, because it, it's just, it's amazing. It really is. I can't stress that enough. But yeah, so obviously my experience there probably is different than some people's. I had a really hard time. Um, for me, it was more about the support. <laughs> my poor mentor, because you have to published author mentors that help you with your capstone project, which is basically a finished book at the end mm-hmm. of the program that's ready to submit to publishers and agents. And I had a really hard time. I must have changed my book, the book that I was doing, I don't know, four or five times. And I kept writing crap and then I, you know, toss it out and I'd start over mm-hmm. again. And I just couldn't, I couldn't focus. I couldn't get an idea that worked for me. (laughs) My poor mentor. Um, She was so patient. They both were. Yeah, I finally ended up. (laughs) And then like my last term, I switched again. 
and did ended up writing a contemporary romance that actually ended up being published by Entangled. So yeah, but so I don't did that even answer. See, I told you don't get me started. Did that even make any sense? It yes. did. Okay. Yes. Right. yes. I, just, I love that you I did bounced that. from one thing to I, another and I'm so sorry. Okay. No, okay. I, I love that you did that. And I, I thank you for connecting those dots. Uh, that, yes. that makes it's inspiring because it's like, I, I probably wouldn't be writing had I not did this. You know, it's like, I, I made it work this one time, but you know, then you have life stuff that goes on and it's like, I probably would not be where I am today had I not right. made well, this. And, you know, I listen to your podcast a lot and I've listened to a lot of other author stories and I'm like, oh, that's so nice. You know, I mean, it's like they just know and they just do it. And it's like a nice, you know, thing. And I'm like, my story is not like, <laughs> my story yeah. is a mess. And probably, but that's what's you know. so, so fascinating about it. Cause I mean, even with, with Sarah and I, who as readers have stories in our head all the time, mm -hmm. you know, we're just now like, could we do mm -hmm. this? Maybe mm -hmm. we could do this, you know, yeah. and we're, we talk all the time, like, how do they find the time to actually do yeah. this? You know, it's just right. like everybody's story looks so different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it that I I think that's fascinating too because yeah, I mean everybody comes at it so differently. And you know, that kind of goes along with the thing that there is no one right way to do it. I mean, mm -hmm. whatever, I mean, and that's what makes your your point of view and your stories unique is that you're coming at it from a completely different perspective mm -hmm. than anyone else will come at it from. And if you don't tell that story that you see, no one else is going to tell it for you. Yeah. You know, no and one, that story won't exist. So. I think the thing that I love so much about your story is that when when we came into the podcast, mm -hmm. I just naively assumed, oh, everybody must have went to school for English, right? And yeah, had like yeah. this, this professional writing background. And then we get into it. And a lot of times it's like, no, I was working as a lawyer and I just would like write on the train occasionally. Or like mm -hmm. I was at home raising four kids and I was like, let me just try this, right. you know? And then to hear your story, it's like, okay, you had that, but it came after you wrote a book oh, and right. you were yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to do this. So it's, it's just, yeah. it's like, wow, yeah. that, that is there. <laughs> well, and it's, it's so funny because, you know, I went in wanting to learn, well, how did this work? And I didn't mm -hmm. actually come out with that because I still, I mean, it's, still like, <laughs> it's still kind of mysterious. I mean, I can't even say, you know, if someone asks, well, how exactly do you go from the start of a book to the end of a book? Because it's, it's different every time. Yeah. I mean, just that support system, because I see so many young authors who are um, just starting out or maybe they've they've published, but, um, you know, they've only got one one or two books under their belt. And support is such an important thing in this industry, because if you don't have people that you can talk to who understand what it is to be an author and a writer, um, it's so lonely because you're, you write alone, you're alone in front of your computer, you're alone when you're revising, or you have a writing partner, but still, it's just you mm -hmm. or you two right there in front. And so you have to have that connection and that support because it's a hard business. It really is. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of creative juice. It's a business on the outside of it that, you know, so, you know, beyond the creative, there's 
a whole other set of decisions and things that are going on. Um, and if you're traditionally published, they're going on where you have no idea what's happening, you know, and it just, yeah, the support system is so, so important at all stages of mm-hmm. your writing career before you get published, after you get published, after you're published many times, um, you have to have those people around you that you can talk to who understand and you can bounce ideas off of or whatever. I mean, that is just so, so important. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned Seal of Destiny Mm -hmm. and Crimson Romance, which I don't think we've come across Crimson Romance. So Mm -hmm. I do want to hear you talk a little bit about them. But can you talk about what did the world of romance look like at the time that you were entering into it? You you mentioned you were reading a ton of paranormal. So was that the big paranormal boom at the time? Yeah, it was. Um, Because it was a it was like, that would have been around like 2010, 2011. And, you know, that's paranormal really kind of hit its zenith around that time, like the end of the the, the 20s, 2010s, you know, right in there. Yeah, so I was reading a lot of paranormal romance. Back then, it was when self-publishing, it was still fairly new. Um, some authors were starting to really break out and be very successful in self-publishing, but it was still, they were kind of outliers. And so it was very still kind of iffy back then. Um, so that was why I decided to try and submit to publishers first instead of doing it myself. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and honestly, looking at then when I first published back in 2013 to when I got back into writing and publishing in 2016, it was like night and day. I swear, after those three years coming back, I, it was like starting all over again because absolutely everything was different. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was very hard and it was very scary. And none of the things that I did back in 2013 really translated to the marketplace in 2016. Yeah, it was very, um, very different back then. And so, I mean, everybody back then was still very focused on getting in with a publisher. So you wanted to get mm-hmm. in with a bigger publisher if you could, but there were a lot of smaller independent presses back then too. And if you could get in with one of those, that was okay, too, because you could use that as a stepping stone. And that's where Crimson came in for me. Crimson Romance, and I had to go back a little bit because I hadn't, I hadn't thought about them in a long time. But I think they started, I want to say around 2010, 2011 is when they had their first group of books out. And they were owned by a smaller independent publisher called Adams Media. And Adams Media started out doing nonfiction books. Um, they used to publish all of the chicken soup for the soul books if you oh my gosh yes okay they did a lot of nonfiction, and back then it was kind of the boom time for small independent presses and so they decided they wanted to start branching out into fiction so they started a couple of different um fiction imprints um crimson was um their romance imprint and then i think they had a mystery imprint and maybe a horror or science fiction imprint they had a couple of different um, fiction imprints. So anyway, so Crimson had been around maybe a year when I submitted to them. And Jennifer Lawler was the um, chief editor back then. And she had a very, she had a very clear focus. And she was always on the lookout for stories that were unique. She wanted stories that she hadn't read before that um, weren't necessarily seen in the marketplace. And so she was always on the lookout for that. 
And she actually, because of that, several pretty well-known authors of color started with Crimson, or at least um, got a foot in the door with Crimson. K.M. Jackson um, Mm -hmm. was with Crimson. Um, Cynthia Williams, who publishes with Karina, I think, Mm -hmm. um, was with Crimson. Um, Holly Trent, who does a lot of erotic, LGBTQ, paranormal books, um, was with Crimson as well. So it was just kind of a really cool little niche publisher. Yeah, so they bought my first book. They bought my second book. And then, yeah, and then I dropped off the, off the face of the earth. But, um, in those interim years, they they changed chief editors, did some reworking with their like senior editors under the chief editor, and then they Adams Media got bought by Simon and Schuster in I want to say 2018. But and then Simon and Schuster bought Adams Media, stripped what they could of the assets, and then shut everything down. Crimson is no more. But you know, like I said a lot of authors got their start with them and Mm -hmm. they were a good publisher they put out a lot of diverse unique types of stories and yeah things were really really good until they weren't with the Simon and Schuster and I won't go into that but yeah um it, it was the way that they ended it was not very good and but again it's business so from that aspect things can be very ruthless and yeah. um yeah they they put out a statement in Publishers Weekly saying that Crimson was done. The doors were closed and everyone found out at the same time, the authors, the staff, everybody. And that was it. And, you know, so there's nothing you can do about that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it was a really good imprint. And if you go, I think there's a, a list on Goodreads of a bunch of the stories. Um, if you search like Crimson Romance, it'll bring up like a listopia Goodreads list of all the, the Crimson Romance titles that were there. Yeah. So I remember them briefly. Mm-hmm. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, like I have this memory from years ago of like back when I got my first e-reader mm-hmm. and like searching for ebooks like outside of the juggernaut of Amazon. Yeah. And coming across them that you could buy them directly on their website. Yeah. And you could and I remember that like there I remember like it was like a little pink thing in the corner and unless I'm thinking about something else. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I remember they had, their their um logo was a rose. Like a little yes. rose. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I remember them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, they they were one of the first publishers who came out with a, an app that you could shop in. Yes. Um, yeah. So wow. yeah, they were they were kind of gr- kind of groundbreaking when they, <laughs> when they started. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was for the time. I mean, now it's all stuff that we take for granted. But back then, yeah, I mean, it was kind of groundbreaking. So yeah. Oh, for sure. That's something Sarah and I talk about all the time. We'll we'll like see these names of publishers that we don't <gasps> see anymore. And mm-hmm. we're like, and then you look into it. And it's like, oh, so-and-so bought them and got basically bought them and then got rid of them. And we're yeah. like, oh, it feels like yeah. a shank to the heart. And then we're just like, we have to remember it's a business. Yeah. It's, it's business. a business. It but it's a still lot. like, it's like this affected writers though, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. And I think if you're in, if you're in, the business for any period of time and you're traditionally published, eventually it's going to happen to you because, mm. um, you know, there was the big, used to be the big six, then it was the big five. Now I think maybe it's the big, big four. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everyone there, the bigger ones are always gobbling up the littler ones. And the more successful the smaller presses become, the more. Yeah. Um, yeah, appetizing they are to these big guys, you know, eat them up. And um, yeah, from a business standpoint, uh, the, the, the big top, top 
publishers, yeah, they're just interested in what's going to make them money and getting rid of what's not. And so they go in and they they strip the assets or they they take the books that or the imprints that they think are going to make the money. And romance always makes money, so they're going yeah. to take that and and merge it into what they already have. And then the rest of it is just going to go away. And you're right, a lot of authors, um, you know, get caught up in that. And that's why I learned early on never to put all my eggs in one basket. Um, even, you know, even a publisher like Harlequin, which I love Harlequin. I love writing for Harlequin. Um, I'm so grateful every day to be a Harlequin author, but I still keep books in other baskets just in case, because you never know. You never know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Harlequin was bought by HarperCollins a few years ago. So that Mm -hmm. was all merged in together. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the years to come. You just don't know. So as an author, you kind of have to hedge your bets a little bit and Mm -hmm. either self publish some stuff, um, which I have some of that or, you know, spread it out to other publishers so that if something happens in one area, you still have eggs somewhere else that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, can, yeah. can have something <laughs> for you because you just don't know. It's true. Yeah. I mean, even the lines, like I look at some of my favorite lines that are no more, right? Like yeah. I loved Dare. I love Kimani. I love Nocturne. And there's so many authors that wrote for those lines that I'm like, what are they doing now? Yeah. Right. Would they, you know, could they write for some of these lines that are still going? And, you know, it's just, it's, you never know. It's a right. business yeah. and things close. And yeah. it, like you said earlier, right. you're, you literally start over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Harlequin is very good about, um, they always, at least in my experience, they try and rehome their authors if they can. So yeah. like if they're closing down one line, they'll try and see if an author will fit with another line, um, if they're willing to kind of change focus and and write the types of stories that would fit into another line. And usually authors are fine with that. I mean, a lot of times we have so many ideas bouncing around in our head that mm-hmm. we're like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. And I can, or yeah. you can tweak a story that you've got or, you know, something, mm-hmm. you know, still you, yeah. I mean, you just never know. Um, what's going to happen. So yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, if I had to give advice to a a younger author, one of the things I would tell him is you have to be comfortable with the uncertainty because even people think that, well, you're published now. So, you know, you don't have to worry about any of any of that stuff anymore. And it's not true. You know, like you don't have to worry about the rejection or you don't have to worry about whatever, but it's not true. I mean, just because you get published, that stuff doesn't stop. It continues just in a different way. So Mm -hmm. you always have to be, you have to be very resilient in this business and you have to be able to think on your feet and, you know, make decisions, even though there's that uncertainty there, because it's always going to be there. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. how many books you put out or who you're published with. Um, that uncertainty is always going to be there in this business. So your first two series were paranormal romance. What did you enjoy about writing paranormal romance? The thing I love about paranormal is that there's no boundaries. I mean, <laughs> you're you're basically creating an entire world for your characters and you can make any rules you want for that. And you can include anything you want in that. I mean, paranormal is so big now. You know, when I first started, it was basically like shifters and vampires and 
angels and demons. That was kind of what you saw a lot of. But now, I mean, there's just, there's tons of different kinds of shifters. There's, I mean, there's just all kinds of paranormal. And if you, if you're looking for something, if you type it in Google, I can pretty much guarantee you there's going to be at least one book that has whatever. (laughs) (laughs) True. It's true. You know, that's the beauty of self-publishing because even if a publisher doesn't want to, you can just put it out yourself and, you know, somebody is going to find it and buy it. Yeah. So that's why I love about paranormal romance. And I also love the fact that you can explore a lot of difficult topics through paranormal romance that makes it more, makes it safer for the reader to explore that with you. Like you can, like, say you want to explore different things about LGBTQ, or you want to explore, you know, like really difficult, heavy topics. Um, You can do that through paranormal romance, but it's got the paranormal kind of guise over it. So people will read it Mm -hmm. where they, where maybe if they saw that in a contemporary book, they'll be like, I don't want to read that, but they'll read it in a paranormal and maybe it'll resonate with them differently because it's in a paranormal, because it's like a fantasy kind of a world. So it makes it safer to think about things like that and relate to them differently. Yeah. I, one of, well, my first Heather which is one of Sarah's oh, favorites. Yes, <laughs> um, favorite of mine. It was um, the first book in a, a Nocturne series that she did with some other authors, and mm-hmm. I love so much that you said that because that's exactly how I felt. I was like, she's exploring some really mm-hmm. important topics, just like with almost like race and identity and yes. how people treat each other, and the paranormal aspect was kind of like a safety net yes. for her to explore that under. And I just remember telling Sarah, I was like, she's talking about some really important stuff here through these characters that are, you know, witches and vampires and Mm -hmm, like the other world, like the uh, the others and how they have to hide in plain sight and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And it was just, it was that moment that I was like, this is why I think this subgenre can be so powerful because you can do so much. Yeah, exactly. The whole othering thing. And that was, that was huge for me because, um, you know, I'm, I'm all about writing characters who are wounded and who don't feel like they fit in, who, you know, feel different, whether or not they actually are perceived that way or not. But in paranormal, I mean, you can definitely get, go deep into all of that stuff. And yeah, it's, just it's so interesting and people will um maybe it doesn't click with them you know at first because it's on a deeper level it's like a subtext that runs through but hopefully by the end they'll have a light bulb moment like okay well I understand now why you know people in the real world maybe why they feel this way or why why they do some of the things they do because I can relate it back to this you know shifter or this Mm-hmm. You know, oddball witch or something in this book that it makes it somehow safer for them to think about and deal with those things um, because mm-hmm. it is a fantasy. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Seven Seals and the Blood Ravager series mm-hmm. are both part of Thule Publishing's Muse line. So can you talk about how mm-hmm. you came to write for Thule? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Seven Seals is not Seven Seals. They're they're actually not for sale right now. I got the okay. rights back from Crimson. Got the rights back. Okay. Yeah. So they're kind of down. But yeah. Um. 
my blood ravagers with Thule Publishing. <laughs> that all happened. And again, it's like one of those fate things because that was like the end of 2015. So I was in that period where I wasn't writing at all. I happened to be on Twitter and I saw a tweet from, well, it must have been from Thule or maybe someone had retweeted it um, for a contest they were having. And it was for erotic romance, which I had never read or not read, never wrote before. And I'm like, hmm. And I don't even know what inspired me to start doing it. But I I thought in my head, hmm, I could do that. And you had to turn in, um, I think it was one chapter or maybe a couple chapters of a story. And it could be contemporary, it could be paranormal, it could be historical, they didn't care. It just had to be erotic. And so I just thought, you know, it had been a few years and I thought, well, I wonder if I could do that. And so I just came up with an idea and wrote it and sent it in for this contest. And that was like, I want to say like November 2015. And I didn't hear anything back. And I thought, eh, you know, I, I obviously didn't win. I, you know, whatever. And they announced the winners in February and shocker, it wasn't me. Um, but um, a couple days after that, I got an email from one of the editors at Thule and they're like, you know, we're sorry you didn't win the contest, but we really liked your chapters that you sent in. Can you send us the full manuscript? I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. So, um, yeah. So um, I didn't have a full manuscript in that point. <laughs> yes, sure. I can do that. Um, give me, give me a couple of weeks. And so, yeah. So I ended up, um, I, Got that book done and sent it in, and yeah, and they bought it. And I'm like, wow, okay, so I guess I'm doing this again. <laughs> and um, yeah, so yeah, and I put out three books with them, but yeah, that's how that happened. It was just kind of a one of those things, and again, it's like fate. It's like, well, I guess maybe I'm supposed to do this. I don't know, you know, because I sent it in and they liked it and they wanted to buy it. And I'm like, okay, so that kind of got me back into the writing game again. Yeah. So thank you, Tuli, for that. I appreciate that. So, <laughs> yeah. One Night with the Army Doc released in 2018 with Harlequin Mills and Boone's medical line. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about your journey to becoming a Harlequin Mills and Boone writer? Oh, goodness. And I have heard so many of these stories on this podcast. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> I, my, I, I could see my, my date coming up to be on and I'm like, oh, God, they're going to have heard this so many times. They're just going to be like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah. Um, surprisingly or not, I actually got into the medicals line through a medical blitz. Which, okay. um, yeah, okay. which everybody always says. But yeah, and again, I did, but it's a little bit different than everybody else. So <laughs> I wrote, okay, so I gotten that first book out with Thule Publishing the end of 2015. February of 2016 is when this medical blitz happened. And I was just starting to get back into writing. And I had um, been keeping an eye on Harlequin for a while because that was kind of my dream goal. I wanted to be a Harlequin author. And so I knew that the blitzes, through talking with other authors, I knew these blitzes were a good way to get in with them because you skipped the slush pile um, and you were guaranteed editor feedback. So even if they didn't want to buy your book, you would still get valuable feedback that you could 
put towards writing a new book for them. So I thought, okay, well, I'd like to say that Medical was my dream line, but it really wasn't. I just want to get my foot in the door with Harlequin. Medical Blitz came out and it was the, you know, I had an idea and I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And again, you had to submit a synopsis and you had to submit a synopsis and it was either one or three chapters. I don't know. So I started working on this thinking I was going to submit it and the deadline was February 6th and I remember that date because my other little dog passed away that morning (laughs) and so I was like oh my god what and I was a mess because that one was completely unexpected yeah so I'm sitting there thinking okay god maybe I'm not meant to do this maybe this is a way of telling me that I shouldn't write and so but I thought no you know that afternoon the Super Bowl was on And I'm not a football person, but I remember the Super Bowl being on and sitting on my couch crying because of my dog and thinking, you know, I'm just going to send this in. It's done. I'm just going to send it in. Whatever happens, happens. So I hit send and sent the story in and it said, I think like up to 12 weeks to get your feedback back. And I thought, okay. So I sent that in, went to bed, you know, tired and grieving and whatever and went to bed. And got up the next morning and there was an email from an editor, medicals editor. And she's like, um, I read your, I read your entry. It's, uh, there's a lot of really good things about it, but it doesn't necessarily fit with the medicals line. Would you consider revising it and sending it back to me again? And I'm like, okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I did that because I knew, okay, well, that it wasn't a flat out no. So a reason reason Mm -hmm. is good. So I I redid that chapter and I sent it back into her and she read and she's like, okay, this is good. Send me three chapters. I'm like, okay. So (laughs) I continued on with the idea and wrote three more chapters and sent those in. And about a month later, she sent it back. She's like, okay, send me six chapters. Okay. So we did this. And knowing medical, I'm like, at some point the book is finished because they're not long. And I'm like, okay, so then I sent the six chapters and then she sent it back and I was going in a direction. And now, I mean, being a medicals author, I I can see how completely inappropriate this was for the line. I mean, the guy was like Mm -hmm. a drug addict and he was, you know, I mean, it was just, it was not a a Mm -hmm. medicals storyline. Um, so then she wanted me to start over. So, um, but she still wanted to see it. So I'm like, okay, so I started over fresh idea. We started over again, one chapter, three chapters, six chapters. And now it's been like with the, you know, sending it to her over in London and then her sending it back and the time changes and, you know, all the, the time in between to read and, and do the revisions. It's like a year and a half. Yeah. So finally we got to the full manuscript part and I'm like, okay, this, this, has got to be it. You know, they're going to like this now. So I sent the full in and she's read it and sent it back with some some more revision notes on it and a note that said, I'm leaving Harlequin. I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, because I had built a good working relationship with this editor Mm -hmm. and now she's leaving. I'm like, oh shit. And so (laughs) I'm like, well, there goes two years of my life down the drain. But she's like, no, no, don't worry about it. She's like, I've already talked to um, another editor, the senior editor for the line. Um, I filled her in on everything. She knows what's going on. You're not going to fall through the cracks. Um, Do the revisions and then send them in to Sheila. And I'm like, oh. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh God. 
you know, and this, and I, all this time I'm praying, I'm like, please, God, please let them buy my book. And so I did the revisions and sent it in and, um, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. And then I got an email from my agent and she's like, Harlequin would like to buy your book. I'm like, are you shitting me? And like, um, no, I'm not. And she's like, and they want another book too. They want two books. And I'm like, oh gosh. Yeah. Awesome. And then I'm like screaming and crying and running around. And my dog thought I was nuts. And I don't know what my neighbors thought. And yeah. So two years after I entered that blitz and countless revise and resubmit. I finally got the call from Harlequin. So I, was, I was absolutely overjoyed. So, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's a little bit different than the usual ones. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. As everything. It's in your life, story and that's what makes different. it special. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that book was One Night with the Army Docs. So, yeah. In 2019, from what it looks like online, you released How to Seduce a Bad Boy, mm -hmm. which is book one in your Point Beacon series with mm -hmm. Entangled Publishing. And the book follows Melody, who is the epitome of the librarian stereotype, who is determined to ruin her reputation. I love that. Can you talk? Talk about where the idea for this series came from. Sure. Well, and again, because nothing in my life or career is normal. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was actually a collaboration with an editor at Entangled. Um, she actually had come up with the original idea for the book, and she was looking for an author to flesh out the idea with her and write the book. And so um, I worked with her on that and took her original idea and um, just kind of fleshed that out. So, but it's a great idea. It's a great hook. I mean, because who doesn't love? And that's oh, absolutely. My, yeah, that's one of my favorite kind of hooks, kind of that pretty woman kind of a thing where, yeah. you know, you've got, you've got this person who, you know, is is kind of shy and timid and very kind of closed down and closed up and they decide that they want to transform they want to become something different and so they go through this whole Pygmalion kind of journey of um, discovery about themselves and about you know what the world could be and um, they open themselves up and they become this beautiful butterfly and they the person they were always meant to be and they find love and yeah I mean, that's just one of my favorite I, I've always loved those kinds of stories and so yeah it really resonated with me so yeah so I worked with the editor there on that and we developed the idea together and then I wrote the book and yeah and then it came out with with um, Entangled so yeah. So was that your first dealings with Entangled or how did you get your start with them? Yeah that was was my first dealing with Entangled and that all came about through back and forth with the editor there and then my agent okay. got involved and yeah so that was my first awesome my first interaction with them I had other author friends who were published with them and were very very happy so um they were always on my radar but yeah that was my first interaction with them so yeah well we have Costa Rican fling with the doc mm -hmm. coming up next as with the Harlequin Mills and Boone medical romance line. Can you tell us about the book? Well, my kind of my thing, one of my things is that I, I love to write. I'm not perfect. And I don't, I find reading about perfect people kind of boring. So <laughs> all my characters have some kind of wound or, you know, something that, you know, they have to deal with. They have some, they have some stuff going on inside. And yeah, so this story, it's actually my first seasoned romance, which, um, both of the characters are older. So um, my hero is 55 and my heroine is 42. Um, and Gabe, the hero, um, he actually had a whole 
whole other life. He had a whole family, a wife and kids um, back in Croatia, and they were killed during the war. And so he lost that. And because of that, he, you know, he doesn't think that he can protect the people that he loves. He thinks that Mm -hmm. he can't, that's something he can't do. So he avoids love completely because of that. And so he leaves to get away from all of that all those memories and all that grief and all of that in his past. And he leaves and he starts working for a charity organization at different places around the world. And he ends up in Costa Rica working in a field hospital there. And my heroine, um, Sarah, she is a a PICU nurse, a pediatric intensive care nurse. And she um, raised a, a son on her own. He's now 21. He's off in college in California and she's an empty nester. And she's like, you know, God, is this, you know, I, spent all this time raising my son and I gave everything to him. And now what's left for me. And Mm -hmm. so she's kind of like, you know, what do I do with myself now? And so she decides to take early retirement at her job. And yeah, just do the things that she's always wanted to do. And she's always wanted to travel. um, But she still wants to help people and stuff like that. So she ends up a friend of hers from the hospital who had left a couple of years earlier is actually working for the same charity that Gabe works for. And he talks to her about, you know, well, hey, maybe, you know, you've always wanted to go to Costa Rica. Why don't you come down here and work at the hospital and see, you know, see what it's all about mm-hmm. if you like it. And so she does. So that's how these two characters meet. And they're both at points in their life where, you know, they're not looking for love and, you know, they, they've been there, done that. And they just, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want the drama. They're just, you know, doing their thing. And um, of course, you know, the minute they meet each other, they start sparking and they <laughs> and, um, you know, because Sarah is very set in her ways. And she has ways that she thinks things should be done. Mm-hmm. And Dave, of course, has his way of doing things. Yeah, so they kind of, it's kind of a, um, yeah, it's kind of a second chance, kind of a, um, you know, rebirth of love kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all takes place in the rainforest. So it's very lush mm-hmm. and tropical and nice. And yeah, it's just, a, it was a fun book to write. It's There's not a lot of angst in it. Well, um, there is some, but not, it's not like super dark angsty, mm-hmm. you know, it's just very, it's kind of a, just very sweet, sexy, you know, kind of story about, yeah, just rediscovering love and rediscovering yourself and your, your life and what brings you joy and what you want to do, you know, with the rest of your life. So, so let's get into some writing questions. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Early bird or night owl, what time of day do you feel the most productive with writing? I'm a nine to five girl, actually. So neither. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> nine to five. Yeah. Dolly Parton and me. That's. Are you a plotter or a pantser? Both. I'm a, I'm a plotzer. Um, there you go. Yeah. I had to come yeah. up with my own. Once I started getting all these contracts and having all these deadlines, I had to come up with my own formula. So I mm-hmm. do an outline and I sketch out all of the um, the beat points in the book ahead of time. So I know I have some guideposts of where I need to go, but then I leave myself enough room to for the story to develop within those. Sure. Yeah. So if it's a project you've already been working on, do you reread over the previous day's work before beginning? God, no. No, (laughs) if I did that, I would never get anything done. Um, No, what I do, and and everybody has their different process. What works for me is doing what an SFD, a shitty first draft. Um, (laughs) I like to think of writing. I didn't realize it had a technical name. Yeah, I love it. And that goes to Anne Lamott. If you've not read her craft book, Bird by Bird, I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 
It's an S- she calls it an SFD, a shitty first draft. And you have to give, re- I personally have to give myself permission to write that because if I didn't, um, I have to go from start to finish as fast as I can and just get the words down. Because if I mm-hmm. didn't, my inner critic would take over. And if I went back and reread every chapter, I'd be on the same chapter for 20 years. <laughs> so I can't do that. I just have to get mm-hmm. it all down. And I think of it as um, Michelangelo, I think, um, once said that, when he got a block of stone, he carved down that block of stone to find the statue within the stone. Mm. Um, so I kind of think of my first draft like that, except I'm actually making the block of stone. So that's like oh, okay. my first thing. I'm just getting plot down and making sure all the beats are there. And then when I go back and I chisel out and revise that first draft, I am layering in and honing that story into the story that I actually want to tell. And I'm layering in the emotion and the description and the character arcs and all of that. But that happens later on. Um, Mm -hmm. The first time I just have to get the words down and get the plot on paper so that I have something to fix. I love that because... Mm -hmm. I think for for me personally, it's mm-hmm. the getting started that I'm intimidated because I know it's going to be a shitty first draft. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I mean, and like you said, so just, just do it. Yeah. You, you just do it and then you come yeah. back and you fix yeah. it after it's done. Exactly. Queen Nora always says you can fix anything except a blank page. And I have that like tattooed on my Oh, brain I love that. Because it's true. I mean, you can't, if you have nothing written, you got nothing to fix. So give yourself, for me, I give myself permission to write a shitty first draft. I know it's shitty. I know, I know mm-hmm. in my head it's shitty. I'm, as I'm writing it, I know it's shitty. But I keep I keep going. I'm like, it's shitty and it's fine. It's shitty and it's fine. And I just keep going and I get it down. And I every day I just keep going until it's done. And then I set it aside for a little bit and mm-hmm. I work on something else. And then I come back to it and I'm like, okay. With fresh eyes, I look at this and I'm like, okay. I read each chapter. I, I know what I need to fix and then I can fix it. But if I mm-hmm. try to do that, Every time I would get stuck doing just one chapter, the the same chapter over and over. And I can't do that. A lot of authors do. A lot of authors agonize over every word as they're writing. And their first draft when it's done is perfect. It's beautiful. Um, And I'm so envious of that. But that's not my process. So, yeah. Are there any necessities you need around you while writing? I do need quiet. Well, okay. And I shouldn't say that. I need... Because I do sometimes play music when I'm writing, but um, it can't be music with lyrics because (laughs) if there's people singing or talking around me, those words find their way into my book. (laughs) And I swear to God, it does. So um, if I'm listening to music, it's instrumental. And once I'm in the groove, I don't really hear anything around me anyway. So like a whole playlist can go and I won't hear anything on it. I'll just because mm. I'm in the I'm in the zone. Um, so yeah, I guess some music, um, something to drink, water, coffee, mm-hmm. um, depending on the time of day, um, a comfortable seat, and a desk or something to write on. I mean, that's basically all I need. So, okay. no frills, no frills. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope. Do you set daily writing goals? Oh yeah, yeah. I <clears throat> because I usually have multiple projects going on at once and different deadlines to hit. Yeah, I set word goals every day. um, Or if I'm doing revisions, I'll set like number of chapters a day that I want to revise. And I try and stick to that as much as I can. 
Yeah. Um, you log into your computer to write. Are there specific programs that you pull up to write for the day? I am not fancy. I'm a word girl and <laughs> I just open up word and there I go. I, yeah, okay. that's all I use. So. Yeah. You find yourself stumped on a scene. Who do you call? What do you do? You know, for a long time, I would just like get on Google and Google stuff, but I'm now in a writing sprint group with three other writers and it's the most fantastic thing. We all spark off of each other. And I know that if I get stuck in something, if I um, write myself into a corner, which has happened so many times, um, I can say, okay, I'm kind of stuck. Here's where I am. Here's what's happening. Um, How do I get these people out of it? And they'll they'll give me ideas and then I can sort through those and think, okay, well, I think, I think I can make this work or I think I can do this and it helps. And again, that's where that support thing comes in. It helps to have those other people to bounce ideas off of because you can, it's so easy to get stuck in one lane in your head and you can't see alternatives out of that lane. Mm-hmm. Other people can be like, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you come at it from this way? And you're like, oh, okay, well, that, that would work. Why didn't I think of that myself? But you can't. So yeah, yeah. So that's what do. Did that answer the question? I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, let's get into some backlist questions. Okay. Which book from your backlist do you remember laughing the most while writing? Probably One Night with the Army Doc. Um, I love my heroine in that book. And she (laughs) she's very kind of snarky and sarcastic. She kind of has I'm that's my sense of humor. But she's very um, she's not on the autism spectrum um but she's very close to it she has almost a near eidetic memory i based her on the the character of dr house um except it's female and she's not a drug addict so she very much she's always coming out with these random facts when she gets nervous um she just starts spouting off random facts about whatever and so the hero of course makes her nervous um, whenever he's around because he turns her on. And so she just starts spouting all these facts at him about mooses <laughs> and penguins. And I mean, just things that have nothing to, like the morning after they have sex, um, he's standing in the kitchen, just a pair of sweats and nothing else. And she's so like, you know, she just, her brain is just so melted by this that she starts talking about penguins and mating you know, <laughs> habits. And he's like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that book made me laugh a lot. There's a lot of um, humor in that book, which I really like. So, which book from your backlist was the toughest to write? Hmm. Probably, it's so weird. I mean, they're all, they're all kind of tough to write in a way, but mm-hmm. kind of forget about it. Like, I don't have kids, but I hear that that women who have had kids say that they forget about labor afterwards, like um, like they forget about all of that afterwards, and you just have the the baby there. Yeah, so it's kind of like that with a book. Like you, <laughs> you kind of go mm-hmm. through a form of labor with a book. Like you have to like you know push this book out, and a lot of times it's painful. And yeah, but at the end you just have a book. I would say probably my second book with Entangled, which was actually my thesis project from my MFA program, because that book went through so many. That book hung around in my brain and on my desk for like five years, and wow. I just couldn't. I couldn't find the right way to make it work. And after a while, it's like, a, I mean, it just, it hurts because you just want, you just want it to be yeah. done. You just want it to be gone. And um, I finally um, 
found a way to make those characters work and make the story work. And yeah, that book is called, it's called Worth the Wait. And um, it's a fun little story. It's like a, an ex-stepbrother um, romance. And they inherit a house together and they can't stand each other. They're polar opposites, but they have to renovate this house in order to sell it to get the money from their inheritance. And um, <clears throat> so they, um, yeah, so they do that. But that book, yeah, that book, uh, that one hurt to push that book out because that one yeah it took a, it took a lot of effort to get that one born so yeah there you go is there a book in your backlist that you feel taught you something about yourself as a writer every book teaches me something I think yeah I can't really pick one out in particular that taught me something like a light bulb moment because I think they all have their little light bulb moments you know, I think, um, you know, because there's so many things that you go through from the original idea to when the book is actually done. There's so many mm. things that happen in life things and just, you know, editorial things and stuff that, yeah, I can't really pick out one specific book. They mm. all do that for me, I think. Is there a book in your backlist with a character or scene that still comes across your mind? Okay, this is going to sound really bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not really, no. Um, we were talking about this the other day. Honestly, I don't have the brain space to keep all of these people in my head or I'd be like in a corner rocking somewhere. So <laughs> and this is true. And I shouldn't say this, but yeah, I mean, once I finish a book, those people are gone. I don't really yeah. think about those people much unless unless they're coming back like as secondary characters or something in another book. And then I'll have to kind of remember them. But yeah, once I'm done with their book, they're gone. Yeah, I don't really. Yeah, it's almost like it's no longer yours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you do. I mean, you kind of have to distance yourself a little bit as an author because otherwise, you know, putting it out into the world, if you're too precious about it, that's going to, yeah, you're Mm -hmm. going to be, no, that's, you can't do that. Um, Mm -hmm. The world will eat you up and spit you out if you do that. (laughs) You have to kind of distance yourself from it because it's true. I heard. Uh, an author and I can't remember who now say this but once you press publish that book doesn't belong to you anymore that yeah yeah so um yeah I don't think about my people anymore yeah (laughs) and it's funny because from the time that I finish a book like I'll turn like Costa Rican fling with the doc it's been probably eight months since I turned that book in so with a new release coming out you have to kind of re-familiarize yourself Mm. because you know I'll get these things in from my editor and I'll be like I don't even know who you're talking about. And then I'll be like, okay, okay all right. So I named a character that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I have to go back and it's like meeting people all over again. And it's like, okay, you know, and you have to kind of reintroduce yourself to these people because it's so, now I'm sure it's different for indie authors because their publishing schedule is different, but in traditional publishing, yeah, it's so long from when you yeah. finish a book to when the book actually comes out that, yeah, you're already two books ahead on and you're thinking about completely different people so you got to go back and yeah okay what what was this story who are these people I don't even remember these people yeah (laughs) so we know that the the one book took about five years to write would you say that's the book that took the longest to write yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that one for me I'm usually a pretty fast writer I'm pretty prolific I can usually I usually give myself about four months from beginning to end to complete a book. Um, And that's with all the revision and everything. So yeah, yeah. Five years is a long time for me. Round out question time. What is one book you could, you wish you could read again for the first time? Probably, 
probably oh god i don't even know i'm gonna say i'm gonna say remembrance by daniel Steele because that, <laughs> that was such a big one for me so it would be nice yeah it was iconic for you yeah, it was yeah it was mm-hmm. okay tell us about one of your under the bed stories something you've written that will never see the light of day you know what i don't actually have any of those Really? Oh, no, I don't. Under well, Tracy Douglas's bed is nothing but a pair of slippers. No, no stories. You know, <laughs> you know, I, you know, because like I said, that first book that I wrote, I didn't expect that to sell, and it sold. And mm-hmm. so I wrote those three, and then I didn't write anything for a while, and then I had that thing with Thule again, and that sold. Mm-hmm. So I don't really, I don't really have any. I, That's awesome. Okay, I'll, t- yeah. I'll take that back. I do have some ideas from when I was in the MFA program that I abandoned that. Okay. They would count for that, but they're not necessarily romances. I mean, there's a romantic subplot, but yeah. But yes, Mm -hmm. those are under there, and who knows if those will ever come out. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Tell us one of the craziest things you've uh, Google searched for writing purposes. Oh, God. Um, yeah, especially as a medical author, like I right, or yeah. paranormal oh, author. Even, no, um, I have watched so many surgeries on YouTube. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's a good thing because I do have some medical background, and blood doesn't bother me. But I seriously, I think I could do like a brain surgery because <laughs> yeah, and it's amazing what you can find on YouTube because like these surgeons, and, and I assume that they get the patient's permission ahead of time. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> are there's like complete brain surgeries on there you can watch um like -hmm. they get the camera like right in there and you can watch the whole thing and I watch those because you know I have medical background but it's in a medical office um Mm -hmm. and it's in OBGYN so brain surgery is completely it's a little different yeah yeah. (laughs) and so you know I but I want to get the lingo and I want to get the realism in there so that the reader feels like they're right sure with the surgeon and so um but yeah I've watched so many of those and then every (laughs) once in a while they'll be like um you know like a um like a soldier or something so you have to start looking at like weaponry and stuff okay I'm always scared when I look that stuff up because I'm thinking oh god if the FBI finds this You know, you gotta, you gotta like, you gotta find like, and I'm not always the best about googling the questions. Like, I'll put in like, well, how would you? Where's the best place to place a bomb? And like, you know, building <laughs> and then, like, oh god, if somebody saw that, they're gonna, the FBI is gonna show up on my doorstep, and they're gonna, right. Okay, you need to come downtown with us. And yeah, so why I'm, would she just YouTubing brain surgery and googling and then where to put a bomb, bomb. or yeah, like bomb um, location? What is what is the blood spray pattern like if you're if you if an arm gets cut off accidentally or you know that and then you're like oh god you know they're gonna or if you stab someone in the chest how many times do you have to stab them in order to you know (laughs) kill them (laughs) and it's like oh god if you saw that they would really think I had mental issues you know what I mean um yeah like, I'm just gonna do the FBI well, just busts in and it's like yeah. <laughs> Queen Tracy Douglas sitting at her computer like I'm just writing romance so, novels. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like god I, I I don't think I'm on any watch list because nobody showed up yet but you never know and it's like oh god I, you know that's that's really bad you know well, the- the surgery thing years ago, there used to be a TV show on like A&E or one yeah. of those where they would do, okay, right? My mom was obsessed with them. Mm-hmm. Now, I have had two open heart surgeries when I was really little. Oh, wow. And my mom's like, 
oh, they're doing one of your surgeries. Like it was a bypass or something like mm-hmm. that. I'm like, oh, cool. Two minutes in, I'm like on the floor. I'm like, nope, I've lived it. I can't watch right. it. Well, and the medical Meanwhile, my mom's like eating spaghetti watching it. Right. Like, no, you know, like. Well, and everybody's like, different, nope. you know. Yeah. But you have to be really careful in the medicals because sometimes you can go overboard and you don't want to do that because you don't want to, yeah. you know, like passing out, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a delicate balance to put enough in to make it sound realistic and, and that's right. And give like a mental picture without making people nauseous you know what I mean exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. Yeah. so I totally <laughs> I get that. Um, but I love those I love those rea- medical reality shows too I watch those a ton because there's so oh, much yeah. um it gets you into into their heads because you can put mm-hmm. so much lingo and so much um action and and everything in there that yeah unless you're actually standing there beside the person in the ER you can't get that so yeah I love that mm-hmm. stuff. we were laughing about mm-hmm. that because my mom's re-watching ER she loves like ER oh, Grey's Anatomy all, too. Things, right? Hulu, all of it and I'm trying I tried and I couldn't do it and my mm-hmm. mom's like but you watch CSI I'm like yeah but they're already dead I'm like I'm oh, fine no. in the book yeah. <laughs> yeah I get that I get that well it's a difference you know yeah you know um, uh, ER was my jam back in the day. Like oh, I was in love yeah. with Noah Wiley. Oh my god! In yeah. love. Yes. Mm. Noah Wiley, Doug Ross. Hello. Oh my god! That's why I watched those shows. Uh, yeah. <laughs> seriously, it was good. It was really mm-hmm. good. Well, shout out to healthcare Woo-hoo. workers. Yeah. And yes. the healthcare writers. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Especially now. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. They for sure all all the praise so all the credit absolutely what's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded you of why you love the genre probably one of my favorite books and i recently i've gotten into since i have room in my office um i buy um like paperbacks or hardback copies of the books that i read that i really love so i would say probably boyfriend material by alexis hall Alexis Mm -hmm. Oh my God. If you've not read that book, it is so, so good. And the sequel is coming out next year. Husband material. I can't wait for that. And The House on the Cerulean Sea. Have you read that by TJ Klune? I've heard good things. Yeah, nothing but good good. things. I need to get it. It's so good. And there there is some controversy um, about it with all of the about some of his source material and stuff, but I seriously, I, I read that book for the first time in April of this year and I've read it at least three times since then. And it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite books. It's like a comfort read for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a, a, such a sweet story and there's um, such a sweet romance in it. There's, there's no on sex um, on page sex or anything like that. Um, it's just a very sweet story with such good, just, it just makes you feel so good. So, and and that it reminds me why I love romance because that's why we read it, right? Because of the happy mm-hmm. ever after. Because we know that no matter what happens in the story, you know that these people are going to end up together, and it's going to be okay. You know, especially after the past few years, we right. really need that. Yeah. So yeah, I would say those books, especially. Oh, and um, unpack the moon by. I haven't gotten to oh. it yet. It's so good. It's so good. It will make you cry. Um, oh, it it is so. I mean, it's just like every page is is just packed with emotion. But um, it is it's so so good. 
Okay. I got to get to that yeah. sooner rather than later. Yeah. Oh, it's so <laughs> Kristen Higgins is like her um, Blue Heron series. Um, yes. The Best Man. I reread mm-hmm. those books all the time too. Same. I just, I just love them. I really do. She is the person who made me want to write contemporary romance. And I just, her Blue Heron series, I just, I just love it. I love, love Blue Heron, but my absolute favorite by her is actually just one of the guys. There's something about that one that I love. Oh, yes. I read with that the, one too. Uh, the four brothers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's probably hands down one of my favorites, but the, the first one, the best man, I cried at yeah. so many scenes in that book. Yeah. It's just so good. It it makes you laugh and breaks your heart at the same time. Yes. And I love her writing. She's an autobiographer for me. Yes. Um, And I love that book. The one that I keep going back to over and over again, though, is actually In Your Dreams. Jack's book. Um, I haven't gotten to that one yet. I I just love that book so much. And I love it because she kind of turns things on their head in that one a little bit. Um, The heroine in that is she's a cop and Mm -hmm. she's kind of, she's got the tough exterior and she's, she's, she's a curvy girl. And, um, you know, she, um, she has body image issues with herself. And, you know, of course, Jack is Mr. Popular and he's mm-hmm. Mr. Gorgeous and, you know, all the women want to be with him and whatever. And, but he's dealing with some PTSD issues because of the um, accident that happened where um, the boy drowned in the lake, um, yes. which happened earlier. So he's dealing with that, but he doesn't want anyone to know because he's Mr. Perfect and he doesn't want to ruin that reputation. And he's supposed to be there for everyone else. And, um, you know, these two characters get together and I, there's just something about that story. The best man and that story are my two faves. Mm-hmm. I do like the second one too with Tom and I can't remember the sister's name. Uh, hope. Yeah. Hope. Um, cause oh, honor. No, it was honor. honor. Yes. Because, yep. um, Tom, Tom reminds me of Tom Hiddleston and I am yeah. so in love with Tom Hiddleston. So, um, yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, no, all of those books, I just love everything Kristen writes. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, all of it. So sorry, derailed again. I told you, don't get me started. That's on that. okay. Yeah, that's it's okay. okay. I will go down that, that road with you. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your teenage celebrity crush? Oh God. Okay. I'm, I'm really going to date myself now. Uh, Sean Cassidy. Nice. Oh. Oh my God. I was like, oh, maybe nine, ten. <laughs> I had a, I got a picture in I think Teen Beat magazine, and it was like a four <laughs> size poster. He was on my door, and I used to kiss him every night. The part, <laughs> part over his mouth like was like soaked th- through with um, Bonnie Bell lip gloss. Yeah, I just thought he was so he had on a red and white striped shirt and white jeans, and his hair was all like flowing. And I just thought he was it for me. Oh, my God. Yeah, he definitely had the hair. The hair Mm -hmm. was. (laughs) Yeah, he was. Oh, man. Did you run, run? Yes. (laughs) I was ready to do run, run with him. Right. (laughs) Name one film you'll never stop watching. Practical Magic. Yes. I love that movie. I have watched that. I could act in that movie. I've seen it so many Mm -hmm. times. And I would still watch it all over again. Yeah. Mm. I just love it. I love everything about that movie. What is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? God, I knew you were going to ask me this. And you know, a few weeks ago, I had a great answer. And now (laughs) I can't give a damn thing. Um, I know there's hills I would die on. I don't know. I I can't even think of anything right now. What is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? I love Opposites Attract. That's probably why Mm -hmm. I write a lot of Opposites Attract because there's just, 
I love seeing two people who you think would never in a million years be together, be together. And I also love, and it's probably not politically correct, but I love an ugly duckling story. Mm. I love the the transformation story, like how to seduce a bad boy. I love that kind of fairy tale aspect to the story Mm -hmm. where not necessarily where they need the hero to do that for them, um, but where the heroine makes her own decision to become something more or something different than she is because she's not happy and she decides to pursue her own joy. And that then evolves in their life to changing everything themselves, everything around them to make the life that they want to live. And Mm -hmm. I love that kind of a trope Um, that, yeah, I'll read that all day long. So after Costa Rican Fling with the Doc, do you have anything else coming out soon that you can tell us about? I have, well, I just got the title for my next medicals um, and that's coming out in May of next year. Um, And it's called um, Island Reunion for the Single Dad. And Mm -hmm. this one was so much fun to write. Um, I, I, I really, really enjoyed this book and it's a little um, bit different for me. Usually I write kind of high octane, high adrenaline kind of books, um, in a, a hospital setting. And this one actually takes place on Whidbey Island, um, off of the coast of Washington state. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's in a little tiny, um, GP practice. Um, and it's a second chance romance. They had a fling a long time ago and, and then they went their separate ways and then they're flung back together um, to work in this GP practice together. And um, he's got a secret billionaire thing going on and he's got a kid and she's got a, a tragic past. And yeah, I mean, it's just really, um, it was just really fun to write. And okay, I'm going to tell you guys this. I heard on this podcast, I think when you were talking to Juliet Highland, you guys wanted an Halloween medicals. Yes. And I yes, wrote you yes, a Halloween medical. Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm like, I could do that. Yeah. So I took that, I took that idea and I set the book in October. And there is a Halloween costume ball at the end. And oh my goodness. For the grand gesture. Um, yes. And um she is dressed as a mermaid and he is dressed as a pirate. With a, with a hair on his shoulder and a whole ball um, going on around them. And yes, oh. so yes, I wrote that for you. There you go. Thank you. I cannot wait so to much. read that. <laughs> I mean, not just listeners. Forever, if you complain yeah. enough about a thing, it might you know, dreams really do idea. come true. Yes, thank you for that. I'm like, I'm going to do that. That is. Oh, good you idea. are welcome. <laughs> I did. So there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> Cinderella said it best. A dream is a wish that your heart yes, makes. And we are getting another. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're welcome. So, <laughs> and it was very fun to write. So, I, And they mm-hmm. let me keep it in. I was like the whole time I'm like, oh, they're probably going to make me take this out because it's not medical. But they didn't. Mm-hmm. My editor loved it. So she let me keep it in. And yeah, I'm so excited. Yay. Shout, Shout out, out to, to the, the editor. editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's um, like, we got to do this or they're not going to shut up about it. <laughs> no, no. I've been, you know, I'm always on the lookout for new things. And I heard that. I'm like, I could do that. I could totally <laughs> do that. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> and lastly, can you share where everyone can follow you online? You can follow me 
follow me at my website, um, tracydouglasbooks.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Ask Tracy Douglas. Um, I'm on Instagram at Tracy Douglas Author. Um, let's see where else. I'm on BookBub, Tracy Douglas Author, Amazon, um, Tracy Douglas Author. Um, basically, if you type Tracy Douglas Author in Google, you'll pull up all my find you. <laughs> or go, yeah. to my, go to my website, tracydouglasbooks.com, and all of my little icons are up at the top. I did start oh, cool. a TikTok. But um, yeah, I, I haven't really done much on there yet. And again, it's Tracy Douglas author. Um, but um, yeah, so I have some videos on there, but I haven't really done it. I just, I just mainly get on there and, and watch stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm Your gonna- Instagram is just, I love it. I always, like, uh, seriously, you put up some of the best videos from TikTok, like from other people. Like I, I love a lot that of stuff. animal related. It yeah. is brilliant I, if I'm I an animal lover, so I yes <laughs> when I don't have and and I'm so bad at PR everybody's like well you should be posting about, about your books and I'm like well you know I do when I have one but I mean nobody wants that shoved in their face all the time so I'm like I'm gonna post about stuff I like and I like animals and I like you know uplifting stuff yeah. so that's what I do <laughs> but I oh my god TikTok it's like a black hole it's like you go in yes. there and and you start watching one and then they just keep you in there forever watching all this <laughs> stuff but they're so good they're so oh my god there's so many cute animals and there's so many mm-hmm. good dancers on TikTok I'm like wow yeah. that is wow how the hell do they do that <laughs> It's really good. So I don't do any of that, but yeah. So yeah, that's basically what I'm on there for is for dance videos. And I'm always like, what are the people that are just like walking around through life around these people fake? Like you see these like four random people just dancing. (laughs) And they'll they'll do like different songs. Like for a while there, there was a Bee Gees one that was going around and everybody was doing that. And then they did Earth, Wind and Fire. And then they did, Mm. and now they're doing like, 80s 90s hip-hop um mm-hmm. yeah but they're so good and I'm like, they're so good oh, yeah cool. somebody <laughs> ought to pay them and put them on stage because they're really good <laughs> yeah yeah well thank you so much for hanging out with us today and letting us pick your brain Mm -hmm. and get to know you this is you just this has been so needed like this the energy it was such a blast it was so much fun like it's it's was definitely needed so So thank you so much thank you i love your (laughs) podcast it's great and yeah keep up the good work you guys are awesome thank you for all (laughs) thank you thank you Well, listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have all the links and places to where you can find and keep up with the Tracy Douglas, the (laughs) amazing Tracy Douglas. Um, And we'll also have links to where you can get our books from Harlequin Mm -hmm. and Mills and Boone UK and Australia and all the places. And so, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you guys for listening. And Sarah and I will chat with you in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Mm -hmm.